walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me Waiting for change to come Knowing the battles won For you have never failed me yet Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness I'm still in your hands This is my confidence You never failed me yet I know that I won't You're still enough Keep me within your love My heart will sing your praise again Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Your faithfulness
Easter, it's a story, and like a lot of stories, it has those aspects of it that seem like they're really exciting and enticing, but at the same time, they can seem kind of distant and far away. So today, what I'd like to do is just take you into the story a bit more. We're starting with Friday. You see, Easter is a combination of several days, and Friday, well, Friday's a day that reminds me of a moment in my childhood. Some of my buddies and I, it was a summer day. We were just getting ready to head into the fall and we're out riding our bikes across town, having a great time. And we're headed home and on our way home, it's you know one of those things that happens with young boys, it became a race. Closer we got to home, the faster we went and I was in front, pedaling my heart out. I was having the blast, the sun was on my face, the wind was in my hair. And as I look back to check on my buddies, I was clearly in the lead. It was one of those moments, I'm king of the world. And as I turned back around to get my orientation, boom. The next thing I knew, the world was upside down. I was on top of a car facing down. As it turns out, I had run into a parked car, not just any car, mind you, it was a little blue Volkswagen parked on the side of the road in front of my pastor's house. I didn't know it was my pastor's house until I hit his car. And I'm sorry, Pastor Cummings, if you're watching today, it's been almost 50 years, so I hope you feel grace. But that was one of those moments when the world literally stopped dead in its tracks. Everything was beautiful and sunny and good, and all of a sudden it was upside down and going nowhere fast. That is kind of a silly way of kind of picturing what was taking place on Friday. If you imagine with me, that point in the story, Jesus' power and influence had grown to unimaginable influence and sphere. He was on fire. You think about it, just days before we experienced the Easter story, Jesus feeds 4,000 people with just a few fish and a few loaves. Before that, he heals a deaf guy. Later, he heals a blind person. He raises Lazarus from the dead. He's transfigured so that literally he's shown in his glorified body before these disciples. And the father says, here is my son, whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And then as one of the greatest events of the Jewish calendar, Passover week, Jesus comes riding in on the colt of a donkey. And as he's coming into town, people come out by the thousands and they cover the road with their cloaks and they begin waving palm branches and saying these things. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Everything was leading to this moment. People were just celebrating. This was the promised son of the Most High. This was the Messiah, the deliverer of Israel. At any moment, they expected him to step forward and begin the revolution, overthrow Rome, and put their people back in a place of leadership. But then, you see in great stories, there's typically a but in the story where 
things change direction. And in this story, it was then that their dream slammed into a reality unexpectedly. The wheels came off and things looked very differently just a few days later. They didn't understand. They didn't know what hit them. They, they weren't ready for what was coming. But you see, the week was going great. Everything was moving forward. And then Thursday night, we find that Thursday night, Jesus had gathered his disciples together for the Passover meal, the pinnacle of the week, celebrating the dinner with them. And he takes that time, he washes their feet, he tells them more and more about what's coming, and then he leads them out to a moment of prayer in the garden. And as they're in that garden, as they're praying, praying for the, Jesus goes into this deep, heavy space and the disciples are kind of blown away. The heaviness was so great, Jesus, he literally had changed, disfigured in a way that he was sweating drops of blood. This was totally unexpected. Then out of nowhere, a crowd, a mob can be heard coming through the olive grove. As they approached Jesus and the disciples, Jesus said, it's time. The betrayer is here. And sure enough, Judas steps forward and gives Jesus the kiss. They arrest Jesus. They take him off to Caiaphas, the high priest's house, for a mock trial. And as they do, we pick up the story in Mark chapter 14, verse 53. They took Jesus to the high priest's home where the leading priests and elders and the teachers of the religious law had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard where he sat with the guards warming himself by the fire. So we see Peter coming in at a distance. He's trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Everything was going so well. They take Jesus in and they begin to accuse him and lie about him and say all these things that aren't true. But Peter at the same time is staying out in the cold and he's, he's just blown away. This can't be happening. It moves on in verse 66. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself by the fire. She looked at him closely and said, you were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out of the entryway. Then a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling others, this man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. Sometime later, one of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, you must be one of them because you two are a Galilean. Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. And one of the other gospel writers tells us that he ran out of that place weeping. That's what Fridays look like. That's part of the story that sometimes we don't talk about. Everything was going right and then all of a sudden, bam, it turns upside down. The world is not making sense. Things are going the opposite direction. This isn't even the end. It goes on from there and gets worse because so many times things get worse before they get better. We think, oh man, things can't get worse, but they do. We find it in Mark chapter 
15 verse 6, Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. And so we pick it up where all of a sudden Jesus is taken before Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor of Jerusalem. He's given all the accusations that this is the man who has caused trouble all throughout Jerusalem. This is the man who's stirring trouble all over the world. This is a man who's calling himself a king. Pilate questions Jesus and finds him to be innocent of any of the charges. So he goes out and he tells him, I will not crucify a man that's innocent. But they keep pressing him, crucify him, crucify him. So what we find is that Jesus now is taken to a position where Pilate is in a pinch. He wants to please the people. He wants to keep them from rioting. So in a last-ditch effort, he gives them Jesus over to be crucified. We find that in verse 16. The Roman soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with reed, a stick made of reed. And they spit on him. And they dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they're finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe, put on his own clothes, and led him away to be crucified. The soldiers nailed him to a cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each of the pieces. And at nine o'clock in the morning, they crucified him. A sign announced the charge against him. It read, the King of the Jews. And Jesus hung there between heaven and earth. It says later, at three o'clock, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood, thought he was calling for Elijah. They ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, and tried to give him a drink. And then they said, now let's wait and see if Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the sanctuary was torn of the temple from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he died, he exclaimed, this man was truly the Son of God. Friday. Friday is the darkest of dark days. Maybe you're one of those people that's looking at the circumstances right now and you're wondering, what is God doing? Where is God right now in these moments? And it's kind of like your reality is smashed into something and you're upside down and looking at the world completely differently. It's Friday. What is God doing in those collision moments in our life? Where is God? But folks, what I want to tune into is this is just a story for some of us. It's just, we read it, we hear it, we even believe it. But folks, can I, I wanted to immerse you in it because unless it's personal, it's not transformational. I want this to feel in a sense like this is us. Mountains are still being moved. Strongholds are still being loosed. God, we believe. Yes, we can see. The wonders are still what we are here for you, come and do what you do, 
place between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. I mean, to most people, nothing at all. I mean, if you were in the first century and you were to go to the tomb, what you would experience would be, other than the guards and obviously the post that they had put out with the seal around the tomb, if you were able to look inside, you would probably see what you might expect, a dead body a body that now has had rigor mortis begin to set in, a body that had been bloodied and seeping through. It would have been a disgusting thing, a very hard thing to look at. That's what was happening on Saturday. I mean, if you were to go out into the general public and ask people, what is happening today? You might hear things like, oh, well, yesterday there was this hoopla about this religious leader and they crucified him, but today it's, it's over. I mean, it's, it's done, it's finished. They crucified him, so it's time to move on. In this century, just like in that first century, for most people, life just kind of went on. What is Saturday? I mean, Friday is the day of crucifixion and drama and all of this whispers and scurrying and plotting and 
And Sunday is this other day we'll get to, but what's Saturday all about? This space in the middle just seems gray. I mean, it's just kind of nothingness. It's just there. And, and if, you, if you wonder what was special about Saturday, you might have to zoom in to this one guy that might be off in the corner in that first century in that moment. His name's Peter. And in that moment, Peter might tell you a completely different story. And if you look at Peter right then, he would say like 48 hours ago, my world was headed a completely different direction. I mean, I would have sworn, as a matter of fact, I did swear, I told Jesus to his face, if everybody else turned and walked away from you, I will never walk away. I will never deny you. But then it happened. And I wonder if you look at Peter, you'd be able to pick up on the sense that Peter was in great regret and remorse. I mean, just a few hours ago, Peter had been warming himself by the fire when a servant girl comes up and accuses him of being one of Jesus' followers, and, and he flat out denies it. Of course, everything had changed. Jesus was inside Caiaphas' house being abused and accused, and Peter was terrified. I wonder what he would say if you asked him about that moment when he heard that that rooster crow after his third denial. I mean, I can still picture Peter sobbing with grief as it said he ran out of the garden. He ran out of that yard and off into the darkness. Peter, the great rock, the one that everybody believed Jesus was building his church upon this rock. And now he's washed up. Now he's running off to hide. Now it's Saturday and it's over. So Peter thinks. You see, in the scriptural account, we only see one thing happening on Saturday. And that's that the religious leaders, they run and post a guard and make sure the tomb is sealed so nobody can get away with pretending Jesus raised from the dead. And that's the only thing we see happening on Saturday. God appears to be silent. The season seems so long sometimes. That gray in between. Saturday is a day of shocked disbelief. It's a moment of just, what is happening? Nothing seems to make sense. How could this happen? What does this mean? Where is God? We've all been there. We've all been there the day after the loss, the day after the accident, the day after the news comes through the doctor and the diagnosis is in, the day your world comes apart. Imagine. What Jesus' little group of friends were feeling and experiencing and doing at that time. You see, right outside of Jerusalem was the home of a couple of Jesus' friends, Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. And some scholars believe that that's probably a gathering place for the disciples, for that small band of followers that were still remaining to have gone and just tried to sort out what was happening. Picturing when I first heard him call my name. The day when I was the one that Jesus looked at. And I picture Mary, who Jesus had delivered from seven demons, just thinking back to the times he experienced freedom for the first time in her adult life. 
or Lazarus, the one who literally was dead and in the grave, in the tomb, and Jesus called him forth in the fact that he woke up from whatever he was doing and experiencing at that, in that death moment. He wakes up and he's wrapped in these clothes. He comes hopping out and waiting for somebody to take all this off of him. I just picture each one of them just going over in their minds, what were their memories of Jesus? The time that he brought hope when he spoke about the kingdom of heaven coming to earth and the reign of God beginning and the world being put right as it was always intended. The way that he spoke about life and hope. The way that he cared for the poor. The way that he touched those that were outcasts, the least of the least. The way that he embraced the little ones. The way that he loved those that nobody loved, the unlovable. Remembering how he broke bread and laughed around the table, those moments. Folks, this was a real human moment. It's a story as we read it in scripture, but it was real to these people in that moment. As they sat there, thinking, feeling, wondering. I wonder if any of them felt guilt, like I wonder if I could have done more. As many of us do when somebody we love passes unexpectedly, I wish I had known, I wish I had acted, I wish I had said, I wish, I wish. How had it come to this? But in their questions, all they get back is silence. This is nothing. And it kind of reminds me of a, of a point in the movie, Lord of the Rings, where these people are on the quest to go and they're fighting evil and they're trying to rescue the world from the demons and darkness and, and Gandalf the Grey. The wise one is taking them through these tunnels to this place where they can finally get to battle the bad guys. But in this tunnel, they come across a demon, a Balrog. And Gandalf has this epic battle where he stands on the bridge and he places his staff on the ground and says, You shall not pass! And there's this epic scene where the Balrog crushes the bridge and he falls down into the abyss, but he's holding a whip. And at the last moment, he flicks his wrist and the whip comes up, catches Gandalf around the leg and drags him off into the abyss. As his friends are all looking in dismay, they, have, they run out of those, that crypt, as it were, those, those tunnels, and they're in the daylight now, weeping and in total disbelief that the friend, the wise one, their mentor, their leader is gone. They lose all hope. They feel like things will never be good again, that the quest will fail. There's, there's no point of moving on. I wonder if that's what it felt like in the Easter story as Jesus was taken from them and they weren't putting all the pieces together. As far as they could tell, he was dead. It was over. It was lost. But something beneath the surface was happening. You see, even in Lord of the Rings, as Gandalf was falling, it cuts to the picture later on, where as he's falling, he is doing battle with the demon, and he conquers it. And he comes back, something deep beneath the surface of the earth, in the bowels of the earth, there's a war taking place. And he comes back as the victor, Gandalf the White. And it sometimes just makes me think, I, I believe that was probably one of Tolkien's way of just giving a picture of Jesus but I'm guessing. Some theologians believe that sometime between the Friday crucifixion and the Sunday resurrection, Jesus was literally doing battle or going down into the place of Hades, that dark place where the captives were held waiting their time of judgment. And that they 
The scripture talks about him leading forth a host of captives like he preached the good news to them. But until he had died and had paid the sacrifice for sin, there was no hope for them. They would stand before God and answer for their own sins. But now that Jesus had died, he had placed himself in between God's wrath and their judgment and had taken it on himself. And it's, some scholars believe that that's where he literally led this captive host of believers, people who had put their faith in him then after hearing the message. And the point is, when you're a devoted follower of Christ and something bad happens, I mean, just the world kind of goes into that tailspin. It seems like everything is lost. And sometimes it feels like God is silent, but he isn't. Even though it seems like everything's missing and it'll never be the same and you're just in this gray abyss, he's actually resurrecting something. Because God's silence does not mean God's absence. God is up to something beneath the surface. I search the world
early on Sunday morning, as the day was dawning, the women took spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that glistened like white lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. He is risen. This is perhaps one of the greatest passages in all of the scriptures. In fact, these are some of the most powerful three words you can find together anywhere in life. These words gave them hope. In fact, these words have given hope to millions and millions of people over the last 2,000 years. People who felt like they were at the end of their rope. People who felt like they could just never overcome the addiction or the struggle or the pain or the loss. People who felt like their, their world ended in that moment, in that Friday, or felt like they just could never move on because of that Saturday. Well, God brings Sunday. And for 2,000 years, the church has been moving on those words. The church has been expanding on those words. The church has been alive because of those words. And as the sun was rising on the world that day, the sun was rising on the world that day. God's son was risen because of those words. Man, there's hope in my heart. There's hope for our moment. There's hope for this world. There's hope for, for you in this very challenging season. Because he is risen, people across the globe, because of this simple statement, gathered by the thousands, by the tens of thousands all around the world, maybe by their cameras and televisions, maybe by their cell phones, but people right now are celebrating Resurrection Sunday. We pick up our story of Peter. Remember Peter, the last time we saw Peter, he was running away. He was hiding. He was weeping. He was mourning the loss of what he felt was his life being over. We pick up the story in Mark chapter 16. The angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus will go ahead of you to Galilee. I love that. I know what Peter's feeling. I know where Peter's hiding. I know what Peter's going through. Make sure Peter knows that I am risen. He calls out Peter by name. He knew Peter was hiding. He knew Peter was struggling. He knew Peter was lost. He knew Peter was feeling hopeless. He calls Peter by name. He shatters Saturday's silence by calling his name. I just wonder if, if you were to tune in, if you were to listen this morning, if you might just hear your name on on the lips of God, that he may just be saying, I know your struggle. I know that you may have gotten lost in your Friday or your Saturday or disillusionment or that thing that happened or those disappointments that broke your heart. But that's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. It's God saying, in spite of what it looks like, I've got this. In spite of what you're feeling, 
there's a story, a narrative that's bigger and broader and deeper and wider than anything you've ever imagined. Sunday's a celebration of those broken things God puts back together, of those hopeless things God restores. That's what happened with the disciples. They caught on to what Jesus was saying. They, they finally understood all the things he was talking about. It all made sense and their lives changed forever. And because of resurrection, these disciples, the, this little band of 12 people were willing to give up everything, to risk everything, to tell everyone about Jesus and about the life that is available in him. Here's a powerful truth. God makes his greatest moves on behalf of the world when everything seems to be moving backwards and getting worse. Like I said before, when the graph is up and to the right, we're all good. When things are getting better and we're getting wealthier and, and things are moving and the kids are strong and healthy, everything's moving this direction, it's all good. But sometimes God's doing his greatest work when things are moving in this direction. Here's the question I have for everybody this morning. And, and I think you really need to answer this for yourself as we face our personal Friday and Saturday. Is it possible that God is still active and still accomplishing his purposes, even when it seems like there are no signs of activity? Your answer to that question of if God is actually moving in your life when you can't see him, that will determine how you interpret your current moment. Man, if we could interview the disciples, if we could ask them, what were your darkest days and all the things you experienced in your lives, what were your darkest moments? I bet they would quickly recount the Friday and Saturday. I bet those were some of their darkest moments. But if we were to ask them, when did God accomplish his greatest work in you? When did God fashion you most deeply? They would say those same days on Friday and Saturday. Those two days were the beginning of utter despair for the disciples, but they were the beginning of God's unleashing his promise in the world. Our darkest moments could be the time where God is just pouring deeply into the soil to bring about the most beautiful life from us. You may be going through something that's just kind of really unsettling right now. It just may feel like you can't get your stride, like because of the COVID virus, because you're locked in a house. I mean, some of you this morning, it seems so strange. This is Easter Sunday. You're supposed to be, you know, Easter bonnets. Instead, you're in your Easter beanie. You're in your PJs. You're, you're watching church online instead of in a service. For me, this is the first time in all of my life that I have not been worshiping with people together in a building on Easter Sunday. It, it's Things are off right now. Things are bizarre. Things don't feel right. As a matter of fact, I've got to be honest, this has been the most challenging message I've prepared in years. I can't explain it. I can't tell you why. I have struggled from day after day after day with just getting my thoughts together, getting things right. I've been sick. We had a death in the family. I just know that things seem so uncertain. And in that struggle, in those moments, God is still in control, and I have this deep sense that God is up to something right now, right here. And with some of you, this may be a turning point in your life. I think if anything illustrates this point, it's Peter. Peter had that moment of brokenness where it just seemed like it was over. He had gone back to fishing, and it was done. He, just, he had just kind of wrapped it up and walked away. But Jesus knew what he was going through. Jesus called him by name. He drew him back in. And, and some of you, you've been out there lost and Jesus is calling your name. Today, he's, he's inviting you back. And whatever broken thing you went through, this is an opportunity 
This is a moment. God is calling you. He wants to restore your brokenness. Let him heal what's broken in you. When we trust in what God's doing, in spite of the circumstances, it gives us peace in the midst of the storm. When we trust him, when we trust him, when we just say, God, I don't get it. I don't understand what's happening to me. I don't know how to control it. It's out of control, but I'm gonna trust you. There's a peace that settles in our hearts. There's a sense of well-being that comes upon us. When we trust Jesus, there are Fridays and our Saturdays. Folks, I, I believe, I've experienced, he brings about our Sundays. Just take a moment and reflect on what is this season to you? Are you in a Friday? Are you in a Saturday moment? Has the world been upended? It just seem like you're going through a dark season. Whatever you're going through, I just wanna to pray today that you would join me in just trusting God with your life. Dear Heavenly Father, this beautiful Sunday morning, as the sun rises in the sky, our hopes rise with it because God, in spite of what we see going on around us, in spite of the craziness of our world, in spite of the uncertainty of all these things, you are up to something good. You've always been up to something good. From the time we stepped away from you in our brokenness, during the fall, from the time we were small and just pushed back against you and went our own way, from the time we first learned what it meant to sin, to violate your plan, to do our own thing, you were loving us. And you sent your son to take the place of all of us who would put our faith in him. You loved us so much that you sent your one and only son to die so that whoever believes in him could have everlasting life. And today my prayer is that whoever's watching this, this would be their moment. If they've never put their faith in you, this would be their day. Friends, if that's you this morning, if you're asking for a new start, if you're looking for a way to get your life just turned over to God, you can click the little button there just says raising my hand and that just means that you're saying God I want to trust you with my life today and we just want to celebrate that life with you we just want to celebrate that decision with you we just are so excited about what God's doing and friends we just want you to to know that we're here for you and we want to help you in any way we can so get in touch with us you can email us you can click on the link and let us know how we can help you take your next steps in following Jesus friends happy Easter we're praying for you guys. We love you guys. We miss you guys. And, and believe me, this is a challenging time for all of us, but God is up to amazing things. I believe that. And I can't wait to hear the stories of God's resurrecting your dreams and changing your lives.
place to 